From the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University, this is Writer's Talk. I'm Doug Dangler. Now that it's summertime again, it's time to start thinking about ways to keep cool. You can crank up the AC or hide out in the ice boxes that are movie theaters, but another option is ice cream and plenty of it. A subject that my guest Jenny Britton Bauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams knows plenty about. Jenny Britton Bauer has made ice cream since 1996, growing Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream into 10 stores throughout Ohio and Tennessee. But more importantly for our purposes, she also writes a blog, Facebook page, and daily Twitter feed. Most recently, she has written a recipe book to instruct you to how to make ice cream at home. So welcome to Writer's Talk, Jenny. Thank you very much for having me. Sure. What led you to write a cookbook instead of guarding your secrets, your secret recipes like the formula for Coke? Why did you decide to give them away or to sell them? Well, two reasons. First, um, I get uh, emails from all over the country, really all over the world, um, uh, with flavor ideas from people when they travel or, or people. I mean, we're, we've been in a lot of magazines that end up in other countries, and, and people will write to me things that surround them. Mm-hmm. And so the idea to give uh, a recipe um, that can be infinitely interchangeable to make whatever flavors surround you so that you can sort of give it to your neighbor or your friends or your children or whatever uh, was important for me. Um, and then um, it doesn't interfere at all with our business uh, because it's a slightly different recipe. It's based on what we what I learned um, over the many years of making ice cream at um, in a business, but it's adapted for home machines. And, um, and so the recipe is actually pretty different. It's not like what you would use in a... So I haven't given any competitors any information. Okay, okay. Well, that's not true, some of it, but... <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering as I read through it because there's always the scalability of these things where things have to change a great deal. You're not using one little pot to make your ice cream at a time. That's right. But actually in our test kitchen, we do start with a very small batch of ice cream before it hits the production kitchen. So, um, so everything starts small anyway at our, uh, in our business. Um, but yeah, we did have to scale back like the hot fudge recipe, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, go back and test that, you know, because there are some things that, that, that are a little different when you scale them, uh, the sugar um, content and getting it just the right bitterness, you know, not too much sugar, those kinds of things. Yeah. And I noticed that's one of the things that you're really promoting in this is um, having ice creams that aren't really sweet. Um, as uh, I think the traditional American ice creams, you were looking more for flavors, what it says in the book, than, than the high sugar content. Yeah, the sugar bomb. Um, <laughs> ice creams are always sweet, and they're one of the more sweet desserts that we have. But, um, but because they're frozen, you don't taste the sugar quite as much as you do in cookies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the flavors that we make are not so much candy, um, sort of the, the can- American candy, you know, sugar bomb flavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are much more we mu- concentrated on the, um, um, the actual ingredients and, and hoping that they will shine on the foundation of cream. Okay. The foundation of cream. I like that idea. You just start <laughs> with the foundation of uh, cream. So you, I assume, have kept a notebook of all your experimentation, right? You're in the kitchen. You're saying, let's see what this does. Let's see what that does. Is that what was the genesis for all the recipes in here? You went back to those kinds of notes, or did you have some other way of starting? Um, I have been making ice cream since 1996, and you may not believe this. I don't have a notebook of all of the... Um, the, the things I've done. Really? But in a way, my business, um, uh, building year upon year, um, I don't forget 
the flavors that we've made because every year they get better. I revisit them. So it's mm -hmm. sort of constantly around. In our, in our production kitchen, we have recipes okay. for sure. Um, but none of the experimentation is on there and none of the sort of process of how we got there is in there. Um, That's a, but a, it's all a big memory in my I was going to say, mind. that is a lot to remember all at once. I, I follow a recipe every time <clears> I do something. Um, I don't it necessarily adhere to it because I you know, make mistakes. But uh, Or what I say is adding it adding to the recipe mm -hmm. by putting in twice as much sugar or something. But that's a lot to retain in your mind. And I could never do that if it was for gardening or bread baking. For whatever reason, I can do that with ice cream. And I think it's just because that's what I do every day, all day. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a method uh, in, my, in, in the way that I've done it so that it is categorized and, and organized and filed in my, in, my, in my brain in a very easy way to access. Okay. Well, tell me about the editing process for this as a cookbook. How do you start off and you go to somebody and say, I've got this idea for a book. I want to give my recipes for ice cream. What was the next step? How did you walk through that process with your publisher? Well, first, um, I'll, I'll tell you just sort of how it came about. Food & Wine magazine called me in uh, 2006, in late 2006, um, and they had already done a piece on me uh, in 2005. And one of the editors asked if I could adapt my recipes for Home Machine. <clears throat> and I've seen other ice cream companies do this. And what they normally do is recycle the same recipe that's always used in all of the other cookbooks. It's a French custard recipe. Whether or not they use that in their own kitchens or in their own production um, mm -hmm. factories or whatever, depending on if they're a, a restaurant or a, an ice cream company. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to actually get really close because it's different. The, the recipes that you make at home normally are kind of crumbly, icy, they're a little gritty, um, that are based on that traditional egg yolk technique in a home machine. So I told her uh, at Food & Wine Magazine that if I actually, if I could have about a month or two to practice, and if I could actually get close to what we do in our big kitchen, then I would give them to her. And if not, then I would have to say, I would decline. Mm -hmm. And she was intrigued by that and, um, and excited by that. And, uh, and I was a little scared because I didn't think that it could work, but I knew I could get, at least get a little bit closer. And so then what happened is I got there. Um, I had, um, um, I spent... I did 80 or 100 batches of ice cream in a small cuisine in my home kitchen using only the equipment that I have in my home kitchen, which is different than what I have in production kitchen. I mean, it's, it's the, the machinery is, is um, not as cold. I mean, our, our freezers aren't as cold. We, we can't pasteurize and homogenize. We can't, you know, I have a $45,000 gelato machine from Italy. You're not going to have that in your home kitchen. So it is different. And uh, when I got there, I was excited to call and tell her that we had done it. Um, so then she recommended that I call um, a friend of hers, uh, my agent, who was a, a literary agent, and I called him. We wrote a proposal, which took another, you know, however long. Um, and, then, and then we had seven publishers interested, and then it went to auction, and then we chose the best publisher out of those, which is the best publisher in the business for, for cookbooks. So it's a long sort of, you know, journey. Mm -hmm. And that's Artisan. Artisan. Okay. And uh, so then you went to work with them and said, here, now I'm curious about one other aspect of that. And this isn't strictly writing related, but I'm always curious about this in books. I'm a really non-visual person in terms of I, I can't design my way out of a paper bag. So I'm always fascinated when other people do it. So one of the things that I was looking at in the book is the art direction. And um, it extends, I think, the look of your store is this sort of urban, contemporary, casualness. You've got the name is script and things like that. And so how involved were you with that part of it? Do you, are you the, a visual person in that way? Or are you more like, no, let me tell you my story. Let me give you my recipes. Um, I, am, I am very visual. Um, I think I'm equally visual as, uh, as non-visual. Um, 
the whole design was done in-house at my company, or in, at Jenny's, <clears throat> in our offices, and the entire look of the book was was something that I conceived of. Um, mm -hmm. The idea that the spoons are all on the side, the, what I thought of is, um, and I think about the experience of ice cream a lot, is when you walk into an ice cream store, our ice cream store, or whoever, any ice cream store, what, um, what you, the way that you choose ice cream is, is by, you're sort of drawn to different areas in the ice cream counter. If you're a chocolate person, you're, you just, you know where to go. If you're a, a fruit person, you go to the color. If you're mm -hmm. nuts, you go there and, and creams, and you sort of know how to do that, and it's just instinctual, I think. Mm -hmm. So we wanted the book, I wanted the book to feel the same way. You, so that you're not picking out flavors based on what it says, but how you feel about it as you're flipping through the pages. So sure. all of the spoons are on the place where when you flip, mm -hmm. it's on the thumb. It shows you the, the what the ice cream's supposed to mm -hmm. look like if you've done it that's correctly. That's the first thing hopefully you'll see. If you're like me, I mean, there's a, there is a table of contents in a matter. Mm -hmm. But that's the idea. You're gonna stop where you're interested mm -hmm. and it's visual first. And even if you're not a visual person, I think that's still kind of how you'll do it at first and right. then you'll stop and open it and read it. Well, I mean, I get so I, I understand design, I see it, but I can't do it myself. Yeah. So I always look, oh, that's really cool. Look at the, how somebody has designed this. Because I'm mostly like, oh, I'll put text on a board and make sure that people read it. Because <laughs> that's my, my reading background. But I was really interested in um, some of the, the things that had been done in here that I thought, okay, so they're setting this book up to be sort of a, a really kind of different than, say, the Martha Stewart ice cream book, which would be much more formal, I would mm -hmm. think. You know, that's just, don't sue me, Martha. That's just my take on what Martha Stewart is. Um, and my take on what you're not doing with this kind of book. And it's also much more you're telling your story. And it. it starts off with your story about how you got into the ice cream business and uh, worked at a, a French pastry um, for a long time or during high school, things like that. So, well, <clears throat> you've sectioned the book into four seasons, into the four seasons, spring, summer, winter, fall. And I think in some cases this is because, like you mentioned earlier, you like to source locally. You like to get what's in season. So I get you know, the strawberries in spring, right? But you've also got flavors like chamomile chardonnay ice cream, which is, <laughs> you know, one of the many flavors that made me go, oh, chamomile chardonnay. How did that become, something like that become associated with spring for you? you know, how, what, what makes the cut for when these things go into the sections that they go into? Well, I think, I mean, sourcing locally is such an important thing for so many of the flavors, and you can't hide flavor in cream. Uh, it's all right there, so you should start with the best, and that's how we feel it. Um, that's how we make all of our ice creams. But we, um, more than anything, I think, uh, we follow the emotions of the seasons. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times it has to do with what's growing. So, of course, there's, you know, when spring hits, even when it's early in spring and nothing has actually sprouted yet, we're already craving strawberries, whether they're mm -hmm. there or not. And so some flavors like chamomile, um, Chardonnay, is sort of coming out of winter, coming out of that and, and into the sort of sprightly flavors that you might, uh, that people want in spring um, when there's not really anything growing yet, no fruit. Um, but also that's a Mother's Day flavor. So, you know, <laughs> Chardonnay that's, is a Mother's Day flavor? Chamomile Chardonnay. <laughs> you know, it says it in the book too. I said, oh, I would just, you know, the other reason we made this is to please mothers everywhere. <laughs> and in fact, I made that flavor not thinking that it was going to be as good as it actually is and thinking, okay, moms, what, what do moms like? Chamomile and Chardonnay, right? Um, I know that that's so, I mean, I only go by what I know. My mom, my grandma, my aunt, you know what I mean? My mom, the moms in my life. Um, but I think that's so fun. Okay. Uh, but as it turns out, it's an amazing flavor. The the flavor of Chardonnay really is like um is like almost a caricature, or, or the flavor of caramel is almost like a caricature of Chardonnay. It it's like bigger and more 
than, uh, than a Chardonnay. It's all the apple and oat and apricot and all that. Okay. I've noticed that you've got uh, several different recipes in here that calls, call for some form of, of wine or, or liquor or something like that, which I, I, ha I mean, along with many other things in here, like cayenne, was the first time I had thought, oh, you could put wine in, because uh, there's like rum raisin, which always sounded really gross to me, um, <laughs> and I've never eaten. But uh, when you start getting into that, um, do you have to get a permit for this kind of stuff? Uh, just curious, when you sell wine in ice cream, or is it okay because it's such a small amount? Um, it is, uh, it's okay up to a certain limit, and we are at that limit on all the flavors that we make. <laughs> we do not go even a drop less than that in the flavors. Um, but you know, also, ice cream can only hold so much, so... Um, you know, it, it depresses the freezing point when you add too much liquor or um, any alcohol. On. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a limit to how much we can put in there anyway. Okay. And because uh, you even have one in here that's um, uh, for colds and flu. It, yeah. The influenza uh, <clears throat> prescription one that has, it's based on, um, I think, whiskey. And then uh, there's other things to make you feel better in it. It's actually based on my grandmother's recipe, my mom's recipe, um, whiskey, honey, lemon, lemon juice. But we add a ton of pectin, a little cayenne, a little ginger, and that coats your throat. And it does all this great stuff. And I'm telling you, it makes you feel better when you've got that scratchy throat mm -hmm. going on. You have a on. couple of shots of that ice cream, and you are feeling you go right a lot to sleep better, right? Yeah. <laughs> now you write that, and you said that you tried out all the equipment that you used in the book, and you identify some of them, like the Cuisinart um, ice cream maker, and. I found that really surprising because I, you know, I'm thinking, well, here's a person who's been in this since 1996. Surely dropping back to do research for a book like this is sort of anticlimactic. You know, you've got this, what do you say, $45,000 gelato mm -hmm. machine, and then you come back to the $120 Cuisinart. And there's got to be this sense of, you know, I don't really want to do this research. But how did that function for you? You were able to, because you were, had a different goal in mind, I guess. Yeah, I mean, when I started making ice cream in um, 1996, I was using the same machine and uh, not having that great of luck with it. Um, mm. So when I, when I decided to tackle it, um, that, was an, that was after years of, experiment, of, of experience uh, and experiments and trial and error and getting it right. And I knew I could do it again. And it was actually, in a way, it felt like, um, okay, I will not have really made it until I can do this and, and beat this now, mm -hmm. in a way. <clears throat> when you were going to do that, uh, what kind of, did you, you said you tested out a bunch of other equipment and you found the, the Cuisinart was the best, not to... Mm -hmm. You know, give Cuisinart a bunch of um, love here. Uh, but is that just how it happened? Or did you go try different machines on the market? Or you just said, this is the one I used before. This is the one I'm going to use. That's what my research taught me before. It's not that the Cuisinart machine is better than the other similar machines. It's just that at some point I had to choose because I had to buy like 50 of them. Not 50. I had to buy like 20 of them. So I had they, just to keep us moving through the kitchen. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So we just chose that one. All of the, all of the canister machines work. Um, there's another machine, I think it's Cuisinart also, that does um, uh, like a fancier machine that's self-contained freezing, and I think that's about $250. And I found that actually after we, made, um, after we made one batch, it warmed up too much and it wouldn't make another batch. It took a really long time. So I actually found that the, the less expensive $59 Cuisinart or Krups or whatever you find mm -hmm. is better than spending a lot, of more, a lot more money on... Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and my family has always used the uh, the ice cream, the I think like the White Mountain kind, sure. where you put salt and stuff around that. Did you experiment with anything like that, or could these be scaled up to something like that? Um, I know it will work in that. Um, 
because it's a very simple, you know, recipe, and those machines work great. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to experiment with that because I felt like I'm trying to make it easy on people, and mm -hmm. I feel like the, you know, the, the ice and salt, you know, is, um, it, you know, it would have been hard for me to, to use that exclusively, right. and I wanted to make sure every recipe was tested in exactly the same machine, and mm -hmm. we got these results so that we had something that we could, something quantifiable to tell. You know, people. And, and that brine is caustic too. <laughs> oh, on a yeah, like a deck or something. Well, yeah. yeah. When you're done, you've got to find some place that you don't care if there's grass or something, or you dump it That's down right. the, the street. We we lived in the country, so you always threw it in some place you didn't want things to grow mm -hmm. uh, when you were done. You're listening to Writers Talk from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at the Ohio State University with my guest, ice cream entrepreneur and author of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams at Home, Jenny Britton Bauer. For more information about this book and others featured on Writer's Talk, visit www.writerstalk.org or the Writer's Talk section of the OSU Bookstore. Now, back to our discussion about how she wrote her book and what cookbook models she had in mind as she was doing the writing. Now, did you have cookbook models uh, or models of cookbooks in mind when you wrote this? Uh, there are other things you thought, I thought this was really well done and I want to go out and do it, or this was all sort of trial and error when you were writing the book? Um, there's a lot of trial and error. I, want, I always want to do things um, uh, differently, but I have, um, um, I, you know, when I approached this, I wanted to do it in the same, I want to have the same sort of respect um, to the each recipe as like Julia Childs gives to her recipes or my favorite um, dessert cookbook author, Maida Heater, uh, I just love how she, it's like every recipe is, is you know, tried and true, and I wanted to make sure that this wasn't just a gift book, you know, that it was actually, um, that we put everything into it, and there are, there are other um, authors who do the same thing. Okay. Now, you said that you didn't want it to be just a gift book. Who is your ideal person when you're thinking about this? Who was the reader that you had in mind for it? What did you imagine? Um, when I wrote I had a couple of people in mind. I had um, a, um, somebody like me, who's not in the ice cream business, who, has, um, who lives in a neighborhood and has some kids, and family. And so, you know, um, you know if the kids are, are very young, you know, you, you make ice cream together, you share it with your, your neighbors, you have a little ice cream social. If the kids are older, the kids are coming up with their own flavors. And that's just such a fun craft project, really. Um, but then I also wrote it um, for restaurant chefs. I, I wrote it for the sort of mid-level restaurant who can't afford a pastry chef, who um, can buy, can get a small ice cream machine, and I, you know, unique flavors of ice cream can make, can take anything to the next level. I mean, uh, so an apple crisp with a coriander ice cream. Um, you know, you can do so much with ice cream, and so making an ice cream recipe that, that doesn't uh, fade uh, just a couple hours after it's made, like most recipes that can last through more than one shift in a restaurant, I think is uh, going to be useful for those sort of mid-level restaurants. And when you say fade, you mean the flavors get icy fade out or, or okay. yeah, sorry, um, get icy, crumbly after as it freezes. I mean, we want to. I wanted to make something that was just like what we can do, but give chefs or or home cooks the freedom to make whatever flavor they want for their dessert, or you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, are there ice cream books that you consider indispensable? Are there other, there are books you said, this was something that really influenced me when I was starting to make ice cream? Because when you started out, unlike now, you would, people could go to the web and say, mm -hmm. you know, what are the web recipes on the web? Well, let me try these out. Back in, in 96. They didn't have that. They didn't have that. No, they did not. I so spent a lot of time in the library. Yeah. Um, I, I did, and I also... Um, I don't even know where I got this book. I must have ordered it like through Barnes and Noble or something or Borders at the time. But um, William S. Arbuckle, I think, had a book. 
I think that was the author, and it was a science book. It's still the one I go to, and I forget what it's called. It's just called Ice Cream. Um, mm -hmm. and, but anyway, it's a science book on ice cream, and there's a few um, science books on ice cream. There's a, a guy at Ohio State, um, uh, Valente Alvarez, who is a professor of dairy science, and he's been unbelievably helpful, and he has a book about the sensory evaluation of dairy products. It, he has a section in the book on ice cream. And so that was very helpful, even though what I do is very much very different from what they do in the pilot plant at Ohio State. They're, the science is the exact same. Because you're in production and they're in small... Uh, because we're sort of small batch production mm -hmm. um, um, using um, fresh and real ingredients 100% um, of the time and more concerned with uh, the end product and the customer um, mm -hmm. in, in a smaller way. Okay. You know, as, as I was reading this, I kept having this vision of... Uh, Jim, uh, what's the name of the guy that does the Sam Adams, you know, where they show mm -hmm. him trying the, the hops and everything. And I had this picture of you like going up uh, to the cows being milked or something, you know, not, not good enough cream or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's not that far from, I'm not going to go right up to an udder, but uh, no, um, it's not that far. And every time I go down to visit the dairy, um, uh, our dairy guy, Warren Taylor, uh, he knows the first place that I want to go in there, and that is to the unpasteurized vat of heavy cream, uh, because that's illegal you can't sell it but it is amazing and that is the uh, the foundation of our cream of course we pasteurize it mm -hmm. but only once over low temperature um, it's so illegal to sell because it's unpasteurized you when can't it's sell. when it's unpasteurized yeah you can't sell unpasteurized mm -mm. okay because health and, and our ice cream of course is pasteurized but okay. uh, it's just pasteurized in a very old-fashioned low temperature way so you retain all those wonderful flavors but no it's you know it's totally me to go down there and and get a, um, a spoonful of that, or a, a cupful of the foam that gathers on the top of that unpasteurized cream and, and eat it. Okay. Now, as I was reading the book, I noticed what I can only describe as this subtle undercurrent of danger. Okay, the <laughs> process for producing salty caramel ice cream requires gloves and face protection, right? Uh, you use a blowtorch for baked Alaskan. What other kind of dangers did you encounter in the writing of this book? I mean, I didn't know that ice cream seems like a, a, a high danger sport um, at times reading <laughs> this, you know? What, but but in the, the actual question is, tell me about some of the difficulties in creating this, because um, as I was reading about the salty caramel, I thought it was amusing because first, I would assume the danger of working with ice cream is eating too much getting either, you know, gaining weight or getting sick of ice cream. And, uh, you know, how did that, how's that played out for you in the creation of this book? What did you find the most uh, difficult aspect of it? Um, well, as far as danger goes, I just wanted to be really, really clear about the salty caramel because um, that is one of those um, techniques that's very, um, that caramel is a very special thing in the world of food. Um, this, the, the, a true caramelized sugar has an, a million, I mean, I don't know how many it is, but a million different flavor components, chemical flavor components that you that you get in your nose and all of those together make this amazing uh, scent. But they can't replicate that in a lab. So when you get, you know, your caramel latte or your, your caramel ice cream from most ice cream makers, it feels flat, sort of single note or just a few notes. And um, and so I want people to make the caramel ice cream the way that we do it. And that's why our, our caramel, it's like, I would say it's like seeing live music. It's different every single time you have it because you when you caramelize sugar, it's always a little different. Uh, but, so I wanted to just be really clear about that. And in our kitchen, it is pretty cool that we do this every day on a copper kettle, one batch at a time, uh, with a paddle and um, arm protection because when you pour the cream into that sugar, which is burning at like, you know, 380 degrees, 
one drop of that will, you know, can be very painful, and I've had that happen twice. Yeah. Uh, one drop um, is all it yeah. takes. So anyway, I wanted to sort of show that, and, and maybe there's a little bit of that sort of like, and you can do this at home, but also I want you to know that we do this in our kitchen. You know, I just mm-hmm. sort of want people to know that that's there was still going no, on here. There was no, like, advisory sticker on the front of the book, you know, like on music. with the, <laughs> This the, is going to get lyrics. dangerous. Yeah, no, this I is Jenny's yeah. Splendid Dangerous Ice Creams, no, none of I'll that. I'll tell you. I, th- I like that you identified that sort of current undercurrent in this book because I think it's an undercurrent in our, in my life and in our lives. This sort of ah, not danger, like jumping off of mountains or whatever, but um, but risk. And mm-hmm. I think you know, putting yourself out there and, and taking risks with flavors, with with um, with everything in our company. I think everyone who, if you asked anyone in our company, they would agree that you know, risk is is uh, is flavorful. Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly thought that one the first time I saw uh, or read about the, the cayenne being used in ice creams. You identify that in, in the beginning, I think, as one of the first flavors you made that was re- received in this way that prompted you to continue on because it was it's hot, it's spicy, and it's cold at the same time. And uh, that made me wonder, are there flavors that you've tried that didn't, that you really liked, say, and you couldn't get anybody else to eat? Um, if that, that, yes, there are flavors that I have tried, but I will tell you, if I really like them, I am persistent. Um, so our you just sorry. keep forcing people to eat them? Yeah. Okay. So um, there are flavors that have been complete failures. Smoked banana uh, was one of them. It tasted like turpentine. Uh, not, a, not a whiff of banana in there. Um, and there have been a couple other ones that How were not quite such big failures. Smoked banana, did you put it in a... How well, so s- I went to City Barbecue, uh, mm-hmm. a friend of mine uh, at City Barbecue. I called um, my friend up and asked if, if I could use it. They, they fed, me, fed me lunch, the banana smoked for 15 minutes or whatever, and I took them back to the kitchen and made ice cream, and it, it was bad. Now, I think it can still be a good ice cream, but it's probably just better to eat next to ice cream. So when you, if, you're, if you're into smoking meats, you smoke your bananas right at the end of the meal for just a few minutes, and then when you, they don't look like turpentine and they don't get all gelatinous like they did when I did it. Um, but if you do it just for a little bit, it's really delicious. They're caramelized. Uh, but there are flavors that I have just stuck my ground on, um, like our star anise and candied fennel seed. That has just been one of my all-time favorites. Um, I spent some time in uh, Greece and in the south of France, and, and that those sort of fennel flavors are um, are everywhere. And once you mm-hmm. sort of get used to them, we don't, we're not so used to them here um, that much, or, or people, it's sort of one of those flavors people don't like. Well, it's just licorice. And it is. But this year, um, when we did it this last Christmas um, holiday season, you know, it was super popular, maybe even one of our most popular. And I think it's one of the best flavors in the book. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it is. But it took a long time. We, I kept putting it in the stores, and, and people didn't like it. It wouldn't sell. It wouldn't sell. It wouldn't sell. Now people ask okay. for it. Uh, is there something that you didn't, on the, uh, the flip side, is there something you developed in here and thought, uh, nobody will really like this, but you put it out there and it's a surprise, surprise seller? or a surprisingly favorite recipe for people? Hmm. Yeah, uh, the pear Riesling. Uh, our pear Riesling sorbet um, was never one of my favorites because I sort of thought it was um, um, a little bit bland. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of our most popular flavors, and actually I, it's one of my favorite flavors now too um, because the great thing about it is that it actually feels like you're eating a pear too, and it really is true to the pear. Um, so for a while I sort of thought it was a little bit boring because it just was like eating a pear, which is actually one of the most perfect things about it. Okay. Um, final question is um, your company has a lot of involvement with web writing. It's got a Facebook page, Twitter feed, and a blog. How did you get into that? And how do you, how do you see that as part of your company? Well, I think that um, 
in a way, um, like Twitter and Facebook was developed for my company. Um, in the old days, <clears throat> oh, it sure was. Yes, now. certainly. You heard it here first. <laughs> That's what they were going for. But no, for companies like mine, uh, and and ours is even more than, than most, I think, because in the old days, um, we used to... Um, take a list and somebody would come in and say, where's the cucumber, honeydew and cayenne? And I would say, well, it's going to be here for like one day in August. You want me to call you? And it'd be a list. And like every day there was a call list for all the flavors that were coming in that day. And what a pain. So it's not for me, but it's for, you know, any company like ours, produce companies or anybody who can say, okay, today we have, um, Ohio black raspberries, you know, the rare, you know, hard to find black raspberries. Or whatever, and so it's the same for us. It's you know, and now we can say, "Come get this." It's it's available only for this time. Uh, and back in the day, it was like you know, calling, you know, ten people every day to tell them what was going on. And then you know, if they wanted to come in that day, they would. But you know, it was, it was okay. old-fashioned. So that's the RSS feeds developed for uh, Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. And the blog is um, is really to show people the behind the scenes. We can't give everybody a tour of our kitchen, uh, though we'd like to. Um, so seeing behind the scenes, um, you know, as a company, we want to we want to put our uh, money where our mouth is, or whatever. You know, we want to show people. We don't just want to tell people what we do. We want to show them. We can do that in pictures on the blog and okay. and show that forty five hundred dollar, forty five thousand dollar gelato machine. Yeah, we, we had three which, of them. Which, which, okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I thank you very much, Jenny Brittenbauer, for being here on Writers Talk, talking about your new book, Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams at Home. And this will be available soon through um, all the usual retailers. So thank you very much. Oh, it was such a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you. For more information about my guest, Jenny Rittenbauer, visit www.writerstalk.org. Writers Talk is a co-production of the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University and The Ohio Channel, where you can watch some of our shows at www.ohiochannel.org or consult your local television listings. Also, you can find many of our recent authors, including some signed copies of their books and interview DVDs in the Writers Talk section of The Ohio State University Bookstore. Join me next time for OSU professor and Pulitzer Prize finalist Lee Martin, who will discuss his latest book, Break the Skin, his connection to Midwest landscapes, and how he prefers to be introduced. Until then, this is Doug Dangler from Ohio State University. Keep writing.